1: For the love of Melissa, and the author is Rhonda Ellen Schlanger. And Rhonda joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Rhonda. Good to have you with us. Good to have
2: uh, you speak to me,
1: Steve. It's a pleasure. Well, this is a very special story a story about your daughter, a daughter who has autism. And of course, We'll talk a little bit about what that means. Some may not understand fully this this disease, but I want to read a couple of things that you've written that will kind of give everyone a general overview of the book. You say this is a true story that is not simply about the struggles of a child with autism. This book captures the resilience, unconditional love, and endless perseverance of melissa and her family it is rare to read a story told with such beautiful honesty well that's uh beautifully written <laughs> so uh, thanks so much uh, well Rhonda, that's t- true ronda tell us why you wrote the book
2: well i'll tell you steve uh many years ago people friends would say to me you know Rhonda, you should really write a book because melissa's uh story is really successful Melissa's really shown a lot of improvement over the years. And, um, well, I thought, you know, maybe I can, but maybe it's kind of overwhelming. Uh, I'm not really an author. That's what I thought back then. Um, my husband got me involved in this course called Landmark Education, where you um, create possibilities in your life. And one of the courses dealt with a self-expression course where we had to do a project that would touch, move, and inspire the community at large. And I had this box sitting in my room it's called Melissa's Story that I started making notes on. And I, then I thought, you know, this is what I have to do. I have to share Melissa's story with with the world, really, because it is a positive, it it ended up being a positive story. Certainly there were struggles in it uh, with Melissa, but uh, that's what I intended to do. So I started to write it as a mock book first, and then I just took it step by step, and after it became a mock book, I thought, well, if I got it this far, let me see if I can get it published and uh, finally, in March, it was published. And uh, I was really thrilled because it's something that I wanted to empower a lot of parents with a book like this.
1: Well, let's go back back into the 1980s. She was born uh, 1984. That's right. And at first, did you notice anything different?
2: At the beginning, I didn't. Um, In the delivery room, there were problems right away. She wasn't uh, crying right away, so they were giving her oxygen. Uh, Then they just said it was a little bit of mucus. So she was fine after that, and for the first year, she seemed to be doing everything that uh, any other baby did. She crawled, she stood up, but she was slow at walking, and then we started noticing that she wasn 't pointing to things. She started to seem at about thirteen months uh, unaware of her surroundings and uh, that 's when we started getting a little suspicious that something was wrong, but we weren 't quite sure. Then we found that she wasn 't reacting to our voice, so we thought she had trouble hearing like a lot of people do, and she went for a lot of uh, Uh, audiograms and everything seemed to be fine until I asked someone one day when she was almost three well why is it that when I talk to her she isn't looking at me she's looking through me she never seemed aware of what was happening around her and that's when we had her assessed and she was three when she was diagnosed with it
1: well tell us a little bit about autism
2: autism is a neurological disorder um, that is really a brain disorder. It affects uh, a person's ability to communicate, socialize, and there's behaviors with it too. So there might be something called a perseverated behavior. So in Melissa's case, it was rocking back and forth, um, some hand flapping, not very much, mostly jumping up and down a lot. Uh, a lot of these children have uh, sensory problems, so they're, s- they're sound sensitive. They may have trouble going outside uh, without sunglasses on, for example. In Melissa's case, she was very sound sensitive. Some people have trouble, uh, children have trouble with hot and cold. They might not be able to feel hot and cold. So there's always, uh, the the senses are affected. And in, in Melissa's case, she was, like, terrified of lawnmowers or sounds. Even when we took her to a mall, she would cry a lot. And if she heard, like, the a, a lawnmower, for example, or dogs barking, she would cling to us. She would just, you know, or she would go into her room and put the covers over her head until we found out that uh, it was actually hurting her ears and we didn't know it. But that took a, a while to find out. And then she, she had auditory training for that. Uh, at that time, the doctors didn't know very much about it. And um, it was just basically, I, I used my own instincts, uh, whereas now they have different names for therapies. They have applied behavior analysis, where uh, they call it ABA therapy, uh, I just used look-at-me games to get her eye contact. We also were involved. Eventually, she went to a therapeutic school, Blue Hills Academy, and a doctor, Evangeline Munns, uh, did TheraPlay on Melissa and trained my husband and I on it, and that really helped her. It helped break into her world.
1: That's an interesting phrase you just used, break to break into her world. Now,
2: That's right.
1: Uh, Explain that a little bit more,
2: well, we had to intrude on her uh, because we if she was in her own world she wasn't part of our world, and she wasn't aware of what was going on in her in in her own environment, so we had to learn to intrude, and that this doctor helped us by by having these little games where we had to um, tickle her or we'd uh, just have her um, give us eye contact, we'd pick her up, for example, and we'd play these games like "Hello, Melissa, Goodbye, Melissa." And if she looked at us we we'd put her down on the we kind of just bent her down towards the floor, and then we'd pick her up again and go, "Hello, Melissa, and dance around till we got her eye contact, or we'd do row row your boat so that she would give us the eye contact. and if she did, we would you know always clap and praise her. We would also I would also call out people's names in the family and, and just move her little head back and forth to show her, Oh, there's daddy or oh there's your brother Jeff you know. Um, oh look, Daddy just came home from work because she wasn't even aware if if we left or if we came back. So we would just it was it took a lot of work to um make her aware of this. We were constantly intruding on her to uh, bring her in to just make her more aware.
1: Where did you finally start to see uh, improvement to the point where you really started having hope?
2: Wow. Well, I think I actually do think it was when she went to Blue Hills and she was four years old, and uh, she started to just become more aware of herself because of the therapy. That's when we knew there was hope. And then one day at the kitchen table, she came out with an entire sentence, which she hadn't done because she would just uh, say the odd word, but she wouldn't. She wasn't able to put any words together. And we were sitting around with some company, and she just came out with, "I want a piece of chocolate cake." And we just, wow, who said that, you know? <laughs> and we just gave her the whole cake, basically. <laughs> um, it. it I think it was just little things like that. Like, we didn't know if Melissa could ask any questions. And one day she turned to her brother. He said something, and she said, what's so funny? And I thought, wow, she could ask a question. So a lot of people take these things for granted. So we didn't. I think also what helped her was the auditory training in Montreal from Dr. Binet. Uh Because her ears were so sensitive, she uh, went for this treatment where they raise certain frequencies and lower other frequencies to make her hearing more harmonized. So it it actually, through music uh, and wearing headphones, they were able to uh, change the way she heard sounds so that the frequencies like the sounds wouldn't hurt her anymore. And uh, that actually really changed her because it made her more confident because the doctor explained to us that if she uh, heard better, than, or if she heard at the right frequencies, then she would um, just be able to perceive the world better. And and the, if, the, if your hearing is more harmonized, you're at more peace within yourself.
1: Well, Melissa is quite a lady because she's gone to college.
2: Yes, she did. She went to... Uh, well, she went to... Holistic uh, wellness, which was an aesthetic college, so she learned aesthetics.
1: What is that? What is that?
2: Uh, Well, she learned to do uh, manicures, pedicures. She does facials. She does hot stone massage and aromatherapy. She does waxing. So she has a little spa in our uh, the bottom part of our house. And it's her own business. She has one lovely room for manicures and pedicure and another room for the spa and a reception area. So that's where she she learned the aesthetics. And this is when uh, actually the high school, the, the teachers knew she was very good with her hands and they believed she could do it. But the guidance teacher at the time said, oh, you know what, it'll be too difficult for her. But we knew she was very good, um, you know, just with her dexterity. So we thought, you know, let's see if we can find a school that could accommodate Melissa. Because the academics were a challenge, we we found a hands-on school. And it took about seven months, and she became an esthetician. She had a wonderful teacher who had a lot of patience, and Melissa took uh, very thorough notes and... Uh, you know, it took a little confidence for her to to gain that confidence, and we felt that it would be better for her if she did it through her home. You know, it would give her, she would be able to, to work at her own pace. She wouldn't be pressured into working like an eight-hour
3: day.
1: So is she able to communicate with her clients?
2: Oh, absolutely. Like at the beginning, I would go down just to make sure things are were fine. And she's just very comfortable with them now. She'll talk to them if they feel like talking. And if they don't feel like talking, she, she goes with their mood. That's what she told me. She has music that she plays, very relaxing music. And uh, she just has a, she has a good time with it. And they all love her.
1: Well, I'm sure they, really they have a, I'm sure they have a great relationship with her. That's just remarkable. Of course, you have a big question. Will she ever be able to live on her own?
2: That's a, that's a scary question, Steve. And that's a question that my husband and I struggle with every day. We, we, we don't know. Um, like, she certainly can. Like, we, we leave her alone when we go to on our vacations every year for a month. We um, we go to St. Martin every year, <laughs> which we love. And she used to come with us a lot, but this is her busier time, so she stays at home. She can cook for herself. She does her own laundry. She takes the TTC, um, and uh, so she's very independent that way. Uh, but if she, it's just the financial part of it. So if we can, if she can get. Um, Another job, which she's hoping to do, she's hoping to go back to college and be an early childhood assistant. And if she could uh, get something in that field, then perhaps she could live on her own. But I still think she'll need some sort of supervision, because she also has the challenge of epilepsy. So, uh, although it's under control, she still needs someone to there when when she's like showering just to make sure she's okay
1: well this is a story of hope that's no doubt Uh, a young girl diagnosed with autism and here she is being a very productive part of society
2: absolutely that's what what our goal was and that was melissa's goal we wanted her to be a credit to her community and and she is and And she, what she does she does well, she's really an artist at what she does and um, she puts her whole heart into it she and it's something she enjoys and we all have to enjoy what we do um, so that's that's it it's she's uh she gives people a lot of hope and it's a the story for the love of Melissa is very inspiring because it gives people that you know they have to. They have to have something positive.
1: Definitely. And
2: I, and I think what what helped us was a Temple Grandin who is an adult with, um, she's on the autism spectrum and she's a doctor. Uh, she has her PhD in animal science and we heard her at a convention and she actually said, "Take the obsession." and turn it into a career, and so Melissa was obsessed with nails. For a long time before, as a, a child, she would write about how she wanted to do people's nails, and she would look in magazines and cut pictures out of the, uh, out of um, magazines of beauty, and uh, so she was very obsessed with it. She would sometimes uh, spend a lot of time at school looking at her nails, (laughs) and she'd get in trouble at school for that. I'd have to take the the nail polish off, so she'd concentrate on her studies. But I thought, you know, if this is what she's writing about, then let's take it a step further.
1: Well, congratulations to you and your husband and Melissa and Brother Jeff. Uh, Tell us how to get your book, Rhonda.
2: Well, you can certainly, the readers can go to uh, the website, which is Author House. They can uh, just go to www.authorhouse.com and type in For the Love of Melissa. I also have a website, which is www.fortheloveofmelissa.com. They can see wonderful pictures of Melissa. Melissa's taken karate. Uh, she's Almost she had almost finished her green belt when she stopped she 's taking piano lessons and she 's been in two recitals so far
4: oh, that's so she 's starting
2: to learn learn that she's she does Sudokus. i can 't do those <laughs> so um, I think they 'll see a lot of positive um, things when they look at that website there there 's also uh, a part of it is I, I was just a keynote speaker for my York Region chapter, um, and uh, I, I was able to share Melissa's story with people. And I think it's good because Melissa was was is in it too, so they can check that out as well.
1: Well, thank you so much for being on Author Talk and sharing this wonderful story about Melissa.
2: My pleasure, Steve.
1: That was Rhonda Ellen Schlanger. She is the author of her book, For the Love of Melissa.
0: You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Hey, you living the dream like Nina and Cindy? Were you shocked by the Chuck E. Cheese calamities, diaper dilemmas, and major mom minivan mishaps? Then get ready to share it with Living the Dream Moms with Nina Fry and Cindy Schmitzer Thursday mornings at 10, 9 a.m. Central on Net. And as Nina and Cindy say, if you're thinking it, we're saying it. It's your chance to discuss, share, and learn from two moms who have been there, done that, and yes, they have the t-shirts. And they're for sale at ltdchix.com. Living the Dream Moms is all about all things moms have to deal with daily nina and cindy are two ordinary frazzled moms who admit when they need help and do their best to research or discuss topics that are not always talked about living the dream moms are just two real women who are discussing the trials and tribulations and triumphs of everyday mom lives you are not alone it's living the dream moms with nina fry and cindy schmitzer thursday mornings at 10 eastern 9 a.m central on Toginet.com. what's your story Friday mornings at 10 Eastern, 9 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House, helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world.
1: The title of the book, Tell Me a Story, Grandpa, for our grandchildren and for children everywhere. And the author is Dr. Robert L. Heisberger, and Dr. Heisberger joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Bob. Hello, Steve.
5: Delighted to be with you.
1: Well, it's great to have you here. Uh, a great storyteller for children and some 59 years in education, so you have certainly been around teaching for a long time. This is just a natural extension, it sounds like.
5: Well, I've enjoyed it, every bit of it. I started out as an elementary school teacher, worked with very young children and from that I became principal of a uh, elementary school and a school public school administrator and then went on to university work and prepared uh, teachers and school administrators uh, to enter the profession and uh, those 59 years have been a real blessing and a reward and I've enjoyed it along with the frustrations uh, I've grown and learned along the way and it's been uh, just a delightful delightful experience of working with young people and working with their parents and grandparents and the total totality of the public.
1: Well, it sounds like you've come full circle. You're all the way back (laughs) teaching young children again. And uh, tell us why you wrote this book.
5: Well, Steve, uh, I have six grandchildren and uh, from ages of six months to uh, six years. And uh, often we're visiting our children, our grandchildren, or they're visiting us. And at the end of the day, uh, children often like to kind of quietly di- quiet down and uh, go to bed. But before they go to bed, they often will say, Gee, tell us a story, Grandpa. So what I've always done is I've taken one of their favorite books and would read them a story. And along the way, I would improvise uh, the story. And so um, eventually, the youngster said, You know, just just tell us a story. Just don't bother to read. Just tell us a story, so I would tell a story, and, uh, and shortly after that, I they were off to Sleepy Town. But uh, so I probably have told you know maybe fifty, sixty, seventy stories at one time or another over the course of the past year or two. And my wife Elaine said one time, "says Bob, you know you ought to write those stories down." Well, those stories uh, I had forgotten many of them uh, that I had shared with the youngsters. Because I was just sort of uh, telling them as uh, telling the story as we were going along, never knowing where the storyline was going to go, and uh, so one day I decided, you know, I will write one of those stories down and uh, and uh, give it to the youngsters, and they'll have it then for for in a written form. And so I did that, and uh, and uh, their their parents read them the story, and uh, they said, Oh, gee, Grandpa, write another one for us! Write another one for us! So over the course of about uh, two or three weeks, I, I wrote down uh, ten of the stories and uh, shared them with a publisher. And uh, as a result, uh, we now have the book "Tell Me a Story, Grandpa" for our grandchildren and for children everywhere. And uh, and uh, so I've used some of these stories, certainly with our grandchildren and with another a number of youngsters in daycare centers and uh, in elementary schools and uh, in fact, uh, Steve, when we finish this interview, I'm leaving directly to go to a daycare center and I'm going to be reading several of the stories or at least citing several of the stories to a group of uh, daycare children. And uh, it's a real treat and it's it's a wonderful treat just to see their, their smile and their concern for the character of the story and then the happy event at the end when the story usually turns out in a, on a positive note and uh, they uh, they they share the concern of the character and the frustration of the character and then the happy ending to the event. And uh, it's just a pleasure to see their concern and also to see their enthusiasm and their joy when events turn out uh, in a positive, uh, positive way. So... Steve, uh, in the long run, it's just been a wonderful experience, and I have enjoyed doing it, and hopefully maybe I'll write a few more stories as time goes along.
1: Well, I'm sure you will. Uh, you write this about your book. There is so much to appreciate in the world around us. We need only look and find the joy that is ours if we truly search and appreciate the world of which we are part. We need only seek, and there it is, right before our eyes. So let's talk about... a. F- a few of your stories there are 10 stories in this book tell me a story grandpa Mm -hmm. let's just start out with the first one a trip to sleepy town that sounds exactly what you're trying to do at that time of the day
5: well yes and that one was the first story that i wrote and that was when my uh when my granddaughter, who at that time was uh, about uh, three and a half, four years of age, and her parents went to China, uh, they adopted a a wonderful little infant uh, daughter uh, in China and brought her home, and uh, she's now our grandchild, Eliana. Well, the her older sister, Grace, stayed with us while her parents went to China. And uh, Grace would often say, when Grace was ready to go to bed, and she was a little bit homesick because her parents were miles away and she hadn't seen them now for a week or two. And uh, so Grace would often say, tell me a story, Grandpa. So I told her a a story, and uh, that's how this one got generated. And it cites some of the events that we experienced during her two-week visit with us here in western New York State. And she just loved the hummingbirds. And uh, and we have a hummingbird feeder and other bird feeders, and she just enjoyed looking out the kitchen window and, and watching and enjoying the birds. And we had a whole number of events. We went to see some little horses in a pasture, and uh, we were mowing the lawn one day. She said, oh, Grandpa, Grandpa, there's a there's a reindeer. Well, of course, it was just one of the typical little deer that had just was w- running through the meadow. And so we had hundreds of little or many little events that happened during that two-week period, and we put those events into a story. And that's the first story in the book. And uh, it ends with uh, she she so enjoyed the the hummingbirds, and uh, we planted a garden at that time, and Grace helped with the planting of the garden, and she wanted to take uh, uh, some of the seeds home with her which uh, which she did. Well, the story at this time now ends as though her trip to us was sort of a dream. Uh, and so when she returned home, um, she for, had forgotten to take the seeds, as the storyline goes, had forgotten to take the seeds for her garden. Uh, but uh, when she woke up one morning, uh, she uh, uh, heard a little noise at her window And uh, sure enough, there was uh, her favorite hummingbird had delivered the seeds from western New York to her home in South Carolina for her garden. With a little note, uh, Grace, um, I missed you, but I I noticed that you forgot to take the seeds for your garden, so I decided to bring them home to your home in South Carolina. And uh, so as the story ends, um Grace then realizes that this whole thing was a dream, uh, but it ended up in a very uh, delightful way with her favorite bird, the hummingbird, coming to visit her in her home in South Carolina. And so that, that first story generated with her trip here to Western New York State, and her love for the hummingbirds. And uh, And the story ends that Grace and her favorite hummingbirds remain friends forevermore.
1: You like everything to turn out just right, don't you?
5: Well, <laughs> you know it. Uh, we have usually there are frustrations in the story. Uh, one of the stories is about a little elephant Effie, and uh, and he was just a very very little elephant, just a baby with his, with his large elephant mother, and uh, of course uh, he was not able to eat on his own or to travel on his own, and his mother always said, uh, Effie. Uh, you always stay so that I can see you, and you can see me. And when you get older, you'll be able to, you know, take a little walk on your own. Well, one morning, Elfie woke up early, and uh, he went to uh, went on his own way through the forest jungle. And uh, soon he he lost his way, and along the way he met uh, he met some jungle forest animals. And one was a gray squirrel who wanted Elfie to climb the tree. And uh, Elfie said, but I can't climb a tree. And the gray squirrel said, well, you're no fun at all. And then he came upon a tiger, and the tiger was balancing on a log and says, oh, come on, Elfie, balance on the log with me. And, well, Elfie had never learned to balance on a log, and so the tiger said, hey, you're no fun at all. And then there was a family of monkeys, and they were climbing and swinging on the on the vines. and said, "Come on, Elfie, join us." Well, Elfie couldn't swing on the vines either, and so he was very very sad. And uh, he said, "You know, I can't do anything. I'm only an elephant, and I can't do anything." And uh, with that, uh, he he was now he couldn't get home. He did not know how to get home. He didn't know where his mom was. He was lost in the forest. But a bird came down from a tree. And as birds can communicate with one another so rapidly, uh, they discovered that Alfie was alone and had a tear in his eye and was homesick and didn't know how to find his way back. So they said, Alfie, don't worry. We'll get the message back to your mom, and she'll come and get you. So the birds, in their own bird language, uh, immediately sent a message back to where his mom was. And his mom and aunt came and found Alfie, and uh, when Elfie got back, she said, Oh, Mom, I'm so glad to be home, but I'm so sad. I can't swing. I can't balance on a beam. I can't climb a tree like all the other uh, animals in the forest can do. And she said, But Elfie, when you get older, you'll be able to carry a whole bunch of vines on your back, and you can carry the monkeys on your back, and you'll be able to balance on a beam and even carry a beam with your trunk or a log with your trunk. And you may not be able to climb a tree, but you can actually carry a whole log so that others can build, uh, build a home from your, from the work that you do. Only an elephant can do that. And with that, why, Alfie realized that, oh, mom, he said, you're the wisest mom in the whole forest world. I'm so glad to be an elephant. And that ends the story.
1: Well, I can see why your grandchildren would say to you, Grandpa, tell me a story. You're a great storyteller.
4: <laughs> that, was, that was
1: fun. I, I was just kind of just imagining everything you were saying. <laughs> so I guess your, your, your book is for children of all ages, I guess. Right? It is for all ages. And, uh, and yeah. they're only a few pages long. These are short stories.
5: These are short stories. And in fact, they can be told probably in just about the amount of time that I just cited this one little story. And of course, I somewhat improvise. And somewhere in the book, we have a little more colorful language, uh, where we describe the, the beautiful tiger, or the chatting monkeys, or the beautiful gray squirrel with the long tail. And so we have a little bit of descriptive phrases here. And each character takes on a personality of their own, so that the child can visualize. You know, Steve as I bring out the children, you don't always need to go to a television set, although there's a lot of good that comes from television, too. But you don't always need to go to a television set and see the see the photography or see the picture. But, you know, reading in a book, the characters just jump off the page. And they have colorful personalities. And, and uh, uh, they're wonderful in their appearance. And they take on a personality all of their own. And you, in your in your mind you can have word pictures and the picture bounces off the page and becomes a living reality and that's what I try to do for children that you know you can take these stories wherever you go if you're riding in the car with your mom and dad if you're out playing on the swing if you're playing ball if you're, if you're sleeping uh, trying to get to sleep if you're just are just thinking that these stories can travel with you and their pictures can be with you, wherever you are. And you, you become the author, and you become the, the artist, and you can make the personality of, the, of your favorite character in the story, and give them a personality that you want them to have, along with your personality.
1: Well, that's the great thing about imagination, and certainly children are the masters of imagination, and we need to promote that. We only have about a, oh about a minute left... Right. Robert, um, some other titles, Daniel, Dinosaur and the Monster, Speckles and his great friends, the Pirate and the Mysterious Monster, oh my goodness, yeah. Right, uh, right. the Lonely p- Little Pine Tree, and, and there's a few others as well, it sounds like such a variety and, and so much fun, so congratulations again on, on finally writing down your great stories.
5: Well, thank you, Steve. It's been a real real treat speaking with you and sharing with your audience uh, these, these uh, uh, story characters. Uh, it's just a thrill to talk with you and a, talk, and a thrill to talk with children.
1: Well, tell us how to get your book, Bob.
5: Well, you can get it on Amazon.com, and you can get it also through Author House, the publisher. And also, I understand, Steve, that it's going to be available in your major bookstores. If you were to just go to your bookstore and uh, give them the title, Tell Me a Story, Grandpa, by uh, Robert L. Heichberger, that's H-E-I-C-H-B-E-R-G-E-R. I'm sure that uh, immediately on their screen uh, the book uh, will pop up, and your bookstore, if they don't have it on the shelf, will be able to order it uh, for you from the publisher.
1: Well, thank you very much for being on this edition of Author Talk.
5: Thank you so much, Steve. Delighted to be with you and delighted to be with your audience.
1: That was Dr. Robert L. Heisberger. He is the author of his children's book, Tell Me a Story, Grandpa, for our grandchildren and for children everywhere.
0: You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages.
4: People think I've made it. I'm popular. I seem happy all the time. I have great clothes, and I'm involved in everything. But I have questions, doubts, and fears, just like every other teenager. That's why I'm glad for Teen Talk Radio, where it's all about choices.
0: Join us for Teen Talk Radio with Nicole O'Dell, Thursday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com.
4: The choices we have to make that can alter the course of our lives. Life is too much pressure if we try to go it alone. I tune in to Teen Talk Radio with Nicole O'Dell every week to get reminded that I'm not alone. Nicole O'Dell is an expert on what happens in the lives of teenagers. Join her as she deals with topics like peer pressure, purity, drugs, alcohol, and many other things that might come up along the way. She writes books and speaks to people all over the place, but she says her favorite moments are when she can pull up a chair and chat with teens about what's important to us.
0: For more information on Nicole and her books, go to NicoleO'Dell.com. Then join us for Teen Talk Radio with Nicole O'Dell, Thursday nights at 10, 9 central on Toginet.com.
4: Teen Talk Radio, where it's all about choices. The American
0: Rock and Roll Countdown With Alex Prime Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House, helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world.
1: The title of the book, The Story of Me. And the author is Diane Jones. And Diane joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Diane.
3: Hello, hello, how are you?
1: I'm going to read what you've written in your. Uh, introduction your preface as well as uh, some uh, words in answering our questionnaire that we sent to you to give everyone an overview of this very serious very tragic experience that you've gone through and what we're talking about here is incest and you say this story is about a woman who lived through the terror of incest and overcame the devastation that comes with such a trauma it is not a story of self-pity it is a story of victory and offers hope to anyone who has fallen prey to this type of spirit and you also say you know it this kind of spirit is so viciously destroys a lot of people and gives them uh, no hope but there is hope and you also say my story is a universal one What happened to me is happening all over the world. As we speak, someone else's life is being turned upside down. Well, it's kind of hard to even know where to begin, Diane. So I guess for lack of a better place to begin, let us begin at the beginning. This is your autobiography. So take us back a lot of years to where you were very young.
3: Yes, I was very young. All of this started between the ages of 10 and 12. It uh, it seemed to be something that kind of built up, you know. It didn't just happen overnight. Between those ages, you know, my uh, my family's life was just was just turned upside down. I was born into a military family. The funny thing is that we were we were a very God fearing family. My parents uh, raised us in church. You know, we learned scriptures and we sang in church and we enjoyed church and so that was that was a very odd beginning considering how things turned out and what ended up happening was that my father um, began to drink he became an alcoholic and over time the alcohol consumed him you know it just took over his life and it just became a ritual and um, every weekend he would come home drunk and when he was drunk, he just became a monster. He became a monster. He became someone that we just didn't, we didn't recognize. And in those drunken states, you know, in those drunken stupors, you know, he began to abuse all of us. But as the book says, the story is my story. So I try not to focus too much on my siblings but tell it from my perspective. And so he began to abuse me. Um, my mother... Couldn't take a lot of his um, abuse, and he was verbally abusive, physically abusive toward her, so often she would leave the home, you know, running for her life or just trying to cope in some way. And so when she did that, that left me, being the oldest daughter, as, uh, you know, open prey, basically. And so he would just take his frustrations out on us, you know, he would basically torture us and torment us because he couldn't find my mother. And that torment that started out as, um, you know, cursing us out and started out as, you know, there was one time that he even pistol whipped me, you know, hit hit me in the head and, until I saw stars, you know, asking us, well, where's your mother? Well, when we couldn't answer that question, then his aggression changed and became more of a, more of a sexual um desire. And so he just, he just began to uh, trick us. Um, one of the scenes in the story that I talk about is the preface. And that was the most vivid story. When I began to write this book, that was the most vivid story that I recalled. And it was so bad that, that I had, I had gotten kind of, I was used to his routine and I, and I expected that he was probably going to, you know, try to mess with me that that weekend but but this time because I wouldn't come out of my room you know because I was trying to hide my father decided to trick me and and he pretended like the house was on fire and he uh you know he he started yelling from downstairs and he was saying the house is on fire the house is on fire and, of course, that scared me. So, you know, I, I come out of the bedroom and I'm, I'm peering down the stairs and I'm looking over the banister because I'm trying to figure out in my little mind, in my young mind, is this real? You know, is this really happening? And, 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 I, and I waited a few seconds um, and I did smell smoke and I could see a glowing, uh, a glowing light coming from downstairs but even in that instant, I was wondering, okay, why don't I hear my brothers and sisters? You know, they were already out of bed, and they were already downstairs, but I didn't hear them calling for me. They weren't saying, Diane, come down, come down, or anything. But, you know, I was still afraid because the smoke was real, you know, and his, his voice was real. And so I was trying to decide, okay, should I go downstairs, or should I trust my father? Well... I, I didn't really want to trust my father because he had already began to molest me. He had already began to rape me. But in that moment I decided, well, I better trust my father, which is what children often do. I mean, children are just so innocent, you know, and the love of a parent is such a strong bond that you overlook things. You don't know any better. And and so I ran downstairs. And in that instant, you know, he he caught me and he had this, Smerk on his face and this, this wicked grin, and he said, you know, ah, I got you. And I knew in that moment that it was all a trick. It was all just something to entice me, to, 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 to make me come downstairs. And, you know, he was in a terrible state at that time. He was sloppy drunk. He was, as I say in the book, completely naked, stark naked. So I knew what was next. And he made my sisters and brothers go back upstairs And he took me in the room, and he raped me. So that is kind of like the most vivid picture that I have, and that's how I start the book.
1: That's something I'm sure that that picture you never forget.
3: Well, it's not something that um, is on my mind all the time. You know, really and truly now I'm at a place where I remember it when I read this my story. And, and, and I have to refresh my memory sometimes because I'm going to do a speaking engagement or, you know, I'm going to do a book signing or something, so I'll thumb through the book. Um, but I'm thankful that it is not, you know, like um, with post, post-traumatic stress uh, disorder or syndrome where you relive the nightmares and you relive the terrors in your life. And you re- It's not like that. Um, in my earlier years... I did have a lot of nightmares. And the funny thing is that those nightmares weren't of uh, actual depictions of what happened, but they were, you know, crazy things like spiders um, coming to attack me and thing, other things that I was afraid of. But now, and I call those night terrors. But now I don't have those night terrors, and I haven't had them for years. And so that's why I wrote my story, because I, I want people to know that you don't have to be, even though you were victimized, you don't have to be a victim your whole life. You can come to a place where those things don't torment you. The memories don't torment you. They're still in my mind. I can still recall them, you know, when I need to, but I don't live them. So
1: it's a shadow that it's still there but doesn't control your life.
3: Yes, exactly.
1: When did you start to... When did you start the process of getting in control of your life? How old were you? Uh, Was there some events or were some people, uh, your relationship with God? How did this all start? And obviously uh, uh, it's victory because we're talking to you today.
3: Right, right, right. Well, you know, I have to say that it, it was a process. You know, that's the other thing I like to stress to people is that it's not an instant instantaneous um, healing that happened for me. It was a process. It was a series of events in my life. I think when I really began to understand how much I had been traumatized, I was in my early 20s, um, probably around 21 or somewhere around there, and I had um very, very ugly altercation with a, a family member, an in-law of mine, who um, they knew about my abuse, they knew about my past because we ended up in foster care. And that's how I kind of got to know this family, and I married into this family. But they used that abuse against me. Uh, Whenever whenever this person got upset with me, they would throw my past in my face. And we got into a disagreement one time, and, and, and this person said something about, you know, I was just... Trash like my father, or I came out of the gutter like my father, or something. And at that moment, I just snapped. You know, I didn't—I didn't realize that that was even bothering me. You know, because I was so good at pressing forward. I was so good at just surviving, uh, continuing life. You know, I didn't make it a point to think about those things consciously. But when she said those words to me, it's like it triggered something in my, in my emotion and in my spirit, and I snapped. And I was just, at that moment, my mind went, went foggy. All I could think of was, I want to hurt her like she's hurting me right now. I want to take her out. I, I went in our apartment. I knew that my husband at that time had a gun. I didn't, of course, take the, time. I didn't take the time to investigate if it was loaded or anything like that. I just assumed and hoped that it was. And I was just in this fog, and I was determined that I was going to shut her mouth. And I pulled that trigger, and I pulled it several times, hoping. You know, it was like I just went into this, this altered state, and I was trying to kill her. I was trying to take her life. But fortunately, thank God, um, the gun was not loaded, and when my husband realized what I was trying to do, you know, he grabbed me and he, he shook me out of it, and then I became hysterical, and, you know, I, I jumped in my car, I went driving, which is a very bad time to be driving, but all I could remember thinking was it wasn't my fault, it wasn't my fault, it was. so it triggered some deep emotions Her comparing me to my father and blaming me, you know, treating me like I was someone, you know, bad or someone horrible because of what my father had done, it made me feel like I was somehow at fault. And that's what a lot of people do. They carry the guilt of it. So that is when I really began to see that I've got some inner trauma. You know, I've got some issues that I haven't dealt with. And I was a Christian at the time. I was a young Christian. And I began to, you know, pray and, and try to work on me. But it didn't happen right then. My, my recovery and my healing still didn't happen right then. it wasn't until at least 10 years later that I went through a horrible divorce from that husband that I was just talking about. And uh, some other traumas were going on in my life. And then I really just crashed. When that happened, I that's when I really just crashed I just felt like I couldn't go on anymore I couldn't keep trying to survive I couldn't keep trying to make things right you know I was the kind of person that wanted to help everybody help fix situations but I wasn't really trying to help me and fix me you know and and acknowledging my hurt I never had taken the time to acknowledge that I had been really wounded and really hurt, not just from my parents, but a lot of things that had happened in our lives. And so that crash, that hitting bottom, turned out to be a positive experience because of that, I went to therapy. During that time, I was, I was so low, you know, in my heart, in my spirit. I, d- I didn't want to live anymore. I felt like, you know, taking my life was probably the only answer because at least it would stop the pain. It would stop the disappointment that I felt because of the cruelty of people, the cruelty of society, the cruelty of life. I felt like if this is all that there is to offer, I don't want it anymore. And I ended up in therapy, something I said I would never, ever do, but I ended up in therapy. And through that therapy, I began to understand me better. And that was good for me, but then spiritually... The Lord brought people in my life, he brought my new husband, my current husband, into my life during that time, so it was a mixed process. The therapy helped me work on me from, you know, from, I guess, a psychological, emotional perspective, Um, get to know me better, um, teach me how to set limits, teach me not to be a fixer, not to try to be a perfectionist. understand me but then when my husband came along he was just i think what god ordered <laughs> because through his love it wasn't that he was this perfect person but he was perfect to me and he loved me for who i was and he accepted my past. and i had never had that kind of nurturing he was a very nurturing man so through that process I began to experience the love of God because my husband was also a Christian. He had issues in his life just like I did, but he still believed in God and he was a Christian. And he began to tell me, you know, I know you have issues with God. I know you're upset with God right now, but the the Lord never left you.
4: He's right. with
3: you he said, I can see it even in you, in your character, even in the way that you carry yourself, even in the way that you live. I know that he's a big part of your life, and he understands your issues.
1: Well, and God, you, you say that the one thing you want the readers to gain from your book, that it's possible with God to overcome the effects of any personal trauma. We're... Pretty much out of time, Diane, Uh, you've really uh, gone into some great detail. We really appreciate you sharing so uh, comprehensively about what you've gone through and and what has helped you, and hopefully by people reading your book, many, many will be helped. So please tell us how to get your book.
3: Okay, well, you can get it through authorhouse.com, that's my publisher, You can get it through Amazon.com, BarnesandNobles.com. You can even Google. If you go on Google um, and you put in Diane Jones or the story of me, it'll come up. I am on Facebook, and I have my own personal website. Uh, It is through Filed filed filedby.com, and then you'd have to put in my name, Diane Jones, and it'll come up. So you can get it a lot of ways. It's available a lot of different ways.
1: Well, thank you, Diane. Uh, I know that you have much within you that you'd like to share, uh, but we'd have to say at this moment in time, uh, we just can't have any more. But uh, thank you so much for being a part of uh, Author Talk, and thank you for your willingness to write your book. So thank you again for being on Author Talk.
3: Thank you for having me.